Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. Very special guest. And he's up early in the morning where he is. We're, we're recording this at 7 a.m. Pacific time. Mario Cristobal is about nine hours into his day already because obviously he's getting ready to, to recruit the class of 2022 and figuring out how to, how to get another record-setting Oregon class. Mario, how's it going? It's going well. You know, it's, uh, what is it, 6, 30, 7 o'clock. We just had our, our lunch, so we're off to the <laughs> But it's going well. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, no problem. I, I have wanted to talk to you about, you know, the way you guys have been building this thing. And uh, I came out to see you your first year as a head coach, and, and you kind of took me through the blueprint for what you wanted. And a lot of it had to do with with being able to, to build up the roster uh, in a certain way. And it, it feels like you've gotten there, especially on the, the line of scrimmage. So I, I, I wanted to ask you, this is something I've always wondered from you. What are you looking when you're looking for an offensive lineman? Let's say, you know, some of the, the your, one of your assistant coaches brings you video of a guy and says, I like this guy. He, you know, he's, he's, he plays tackle uh, in his high school, but maybe he's a guard for us. So I don't, I'm not sure. What traits are you looking for in that person that says, I might be able to, to recruit this guy to be an Oregon Duck? Well, at the line of scrimmage, it's got to really pop now. It's got to be a guy that makes a dent in the line of scrimmage in the, in the sense that uh, there's power, there's explosiveness, uh, there's the ability to, to lift guys and run them off the ball. There's the ability to sit back, slide your feet and anchor and play with balance and body control and, and to be heavy handed, but at the same time, light footed and, and to be able to play with a certain level of, I would say, engine, a motor that just doesn't quit, that doesn't give, that's going to certainly affect all the guys around you in a positive way. So uh, the list of critical factors is pretty extensive and, and we don't want to compromise any of those things. Now, again, you know, you got to develop guys in a, and having certain techniques and fundamentals, but those raw basic skills and the mentality, those are the things that you just don't want to ever compromise. So Penny Sewell signed in your first class as a head coach at Oregon. He is, you know, they're probably not going to have the draft in person, so he probably doesn't get to walk across the stage and, and hug Roger Goodell. But but when he gets picked, whenever that is, it's it's going to be very high in this draft. How much does that help you when you're out trying to find the next guy? Well, I think more than anything else, it validates what we have been preaching since day one. You know, Panay at the end of the day, is going to be a guy that played two years of college football, uh, was the youngest one of the Outland Trophy, the first Polynesian uh, player to win the Outland Trophy. Um, he's on track to finish up his diploma. Was arguably the best lineman in college football. Um, I want to say arguably was the best lineman in college football. Oh yeah, and I don't. I don't know if there's any argument you'll get there. No, there was there's no. He, you know what happened too? He came in here and he developed in a system that we have spent our our entire existence putting together in terms of O line and D line development. So I think it speaks loudly that. Um, you know, everything that we've said and we, we've talked about with our parents that we sold in our program to come here to get a, a high level education, to go in to championship, to go and develop and be drafted at the highest level. It all comes together. So it validates all that stuff. And while, you know, we're, we're, we're not into the edit wars and the rest of the, you know, the, the games that go into recruiting, we, we validate stuff by doing um, what we set out to, to do, what we say we're going to do. So we, we spoke it into existence, but then worked it into reality. We're really fired up about that. Well, so so this class you just signed, I, I thought it was really interesting because I heard you talking on your, your signing day press conference about this. You actually had a bunch of the guys who wound up signing this class in for a junior day 
last March, right before everything shut down, and you were having spring practice. So they, they got to see you practice. I mean, that's you had no idea what was coming, but that may have given you a huge advantage just in signing this class because they got to see you. And that is a historic day in, in this program's history. It really is. It's a, a lot. No one knew what was really going on, but it was a loaded weekend. And um, they all they all connected. They all did. They all exchanged numbers. They all stayed in touch. They had a great experience. It was one of those high energy knock them back practices. Guys were just playing with tremendous physicality, knocking each other around, making big plays. And certainly the food here is always great. So that's, uh, <laughs> but there were so many people here and so many players and so many coaches that uh, the buzz was really strong. We had just won the Rose Bowl. Um, the basketball teams were killing it, both the men's and the women's, uh, you know, Sabrina, you know, oh, yeah. uh, Pritchard. She was the biggest star on campus other than, there's you know, no Justin doubt. Herbert and Penae Sewell. So. There is no doubt. I'm still looking for a relative of hers to play some football, but uh, all in all, it was just a, a super high energy weekend. And it was the catalyst of what became the best class in, in our history. So all in all, just a very memorable day. We'll be right back after these words. I, I got to ask you about this, this year, because once again, the, the NCAA is talking about moving the dead period uh, to an even further date in history. And and now, so you're, you're going to be sitting there. Maybe some of these 2022 guys can't come see you till August, may not be able to come see you till till September. How do you recruit this class? Because you you were fortunate with last class that you did get to get some of those guys on campus. But, you know, this one is going to be almost all Zoom. How much have you had to shift everything that you do to to get them? Because, you know, it, it's not like your alma mater, Miami, where those guys could still go drive and look at the campus if they want to. Not everybody you re- recruit can. Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's uh, you got to find a way. You do. And I think everyone really polished and some perfected their Zoom tour capabilities throughout this pandemic and everyone got more and more creative. And what else can we show? What else can we do? And you see that from the use of drones to the use of, I don't know, almost like helmet cams, people going around campus and getting stuff on film to get to companies to be able to prepare virtual tours. And really, uh, in, in our case, what we try to, we try to bring Oregon into their living room. They can't come here into ours, so we got to bring it to them. But you've you've got to you've got to master your craft, and right now that's part of the craft of recruiting. You've got to be able to do that. But as long as you do it in an honest and a genuine way, and you really have enthusiasm and like true belief in the place that you are about, I don't. Uh, of course, it's a hurdle, but it's not an insurmountable one. I mean, you uh, you can still go, you can still do what you do. So uh, I'm fired up about whatever opportunity they give us to recruit. Does it help when you have a local like Keith Brown in the class last year is a guy from Oregon. He's kind of Mr. Oregon. Did it did it help having him to tell all these guys who, you know, didn't get a chance to take official visits, didn't get that that second or third look in some cases to tell him, hey, here's what it's all about. This is I live here. This is this is what I do here. Oh, no, he I tell you, that guy's he was like a modern day Tarzan. I mean, he, he's out <laughs> swimming, man. He's fishing. He's out in the mountains hiking. He's putting himself on Instagram and on uh, on Twitter, so they they have they got a chance to vicariously live through him and and get to experience all the incredible things that we have here in the state. I mean, our state, particularly in the spring and the summer, is it's hard to match now with the ability to do so many things outside. It's uh, 
it's like a, a it's like a living postcard is what it is. Beautiful place. So uh, that was Keith, man. Keith and, and Jackson Light, they got after. They they were a lot like I was as a player. When I was a player, um, and I had Coach Jimmy Johnson for one year and then Coach Dennis Erickson for the other four, I wanted great players to be on our team. So I always volunteered for recruiting. Not to mention we had that like seafood wall with lobster crab. I was gonna say you had a, you had a few things going for you, but but now I gotta ask you though, because we're talking about historic classes at Oregon, but this brings in a whole new level of of players here. Who did Mario Cristobal bring in to Coral Gables as a player? Okay, I, I can't I can't take full credit, but I was one of the hosts on the official visit for the Rock. Okay. <laughs> Wow. Dewey, right? Did you go by Dewey then? I wasn't his direct (laughs) host. I wasn't his direct. I had one of the other guys. Darren Prine was on that visit as well. Uh, Then one monster human being that fell asleep. I forget what his name was. uh, But (laughs) let me see who else. Oh, man, I had a couple guys that I think think didn't quite pan out to the level of of a player that we were used to seeing come down from that era. But um, all in all, I, I did do my job. I was batting just about a thousand. I can say that. That's that's I mean, listen, you you got a, a massive star of stage and screen on your on your ledger. That's pretty good. Well, but yeah. again, I was part of the, you know, there's about three, four, five guys. I had one, I didn't have him, but I remember him being there because I remember saying that is a massive yeah. Yes, dude. I've watched his family wrestle, and they are really, really physical, nasty dudes. So I want this guy on our team, but I, I, you know, we better be ready to block him. So the the, the next year, you didn't have Sap. That was that wasn't one of your your guys. You know, I did not have him. He came in as a tight end uh, from a pop. Mm-hmm. That that's why I was wondering because he, I knew he came in on offense. So I figured they didn't stick him with the D lineman. Great story. In the middle of our one-on-one pass rush, Coach Ed Orgeron, actually, he was our D-line coach. He went down there, grabbed him, and brought him over and had him do a rep as a three technique. And he just, he takes the guard and just unravels him, lines him up and says, do it again. And he did it again. And uh, that was it. He was a D-lineman after that. So Art Kehoe, who was the longtime O-line coach at, at Miami, used to always talk about how the, the O-line would just get whipped at practice every day and then dominate on Saturdays. It, it feels like that's what you're trying to create at Oregon, not necessarily one side whipping the other all the time, but that level of competition at practice where Saturday gets easier. Do you, do you feel like you're, you're about there? No, we're getting there, though. We've, made, we've closed the gap. We've made a lot of progress. Uh, and we feel that some that's, it's a relentless approach to that. And the best way to do it is to make sure your players understand that competition here is a welcome thing. It's not a threatening thing. Over here, it's on that it's the only way that an iron can truly sharpen iron. It's the only way to get better, to knock each other back where, where Tuesday and Wednesday are so difficult and so challenging that Saturday is your reward. You're going to be able to play at a super high level because you've already faced the best. But I think uh, we are getting there, but I still think a couple of more classes. And again, the use of our, our strength and conditioning program are certainly going to get us where we need to be. So you. You talked about critical factors earlier, and I'm always fascinated by this because, uh, you know, I, I've talked to Nick Saban about how he created those. Uh, Don James was, was who he took them from. And, and actually, before he died, I asked Don James, why did you create them? And this is when he was at Kent State. And he said, well, we thought we were going to be fired in two years, so we needed to find guys we thought would, could play immediately. It's, it's evolved quite a bit since then. But, you know, I, I think people just focus on the height, weight characteristics. And uh, before we got on here, you and I were talking about different traits, explosiveness of, uh, you know, uh, violent hands, that sort of thing. 
how much more or or is, is that more important than just pure height weight th- those particular traits i think at some positions you have to you have to really zero in on what type of player what type of specs can get it done for example if you're um if you're recruiting an interior offensive lineman um he doesn't have to be six five six six but his arm length does have to be that of a guy that is six five and six six because you're going against these monster defense tackles that can get their hands on you and shed you so things like that are important you know edge players with their wingspan to be able to cover ground play the quarterback play the dive be able to drop in his own coverage play the hook, play the curl, play the flat, eating up space, right? Um, but specs are really important, you know, a hand size, for example, right? You want your quarterbacks to have big hands. If a snap isn't perfect, heck, you don't want a guy that's fumbling all over the place and putting the ball on the ground. You want these big catcher's mitt type things where you can just about catch anything and, and make things happen. So I, I we place a lot of value in things like that. And then there's always the exception to the rule. There's a guy that may not have the exact things you're looking for, but the guy just finds a way to dominate and uh, play at a high level. So we, you know, we don't just kind of cut things off. We make sure that we're always taking a deeper dive into every prospect that we can. Well, you mentioned quarterback and, and you're bringing in Ty Thompson, who's a, a big guy, 6'4", 215. He's out of Arizona, where uh, it is the, the cradle of quarterbacks these days. There's, it seems like the, the Phoenix area is always producing a bunch of great quarterbacks every year now. But he he's coming in to a situation where it looks like he's going to be expected to compete. Have you had to change on that as in terms of how, you know, when you recruit a quarterback telling him, Hey, look, you may come in and play right away. Justin Herbert started as a freshman. You just don't know at this point. And then you've got the transfer portal and everything else. How important is it that that guy is just ready to play once he sets foot on campus? Yeah, no, you've got to make sure that a guy wants to, first of all, right, that welcomes that type of opportunity because it's it's really not for everybody. Some guys want to kind of take their time to develop and not get thrown into the fire. But in our situation, rarely is there a position or a prospect where he doesn't have to be ready to play. Because like you mentioned right now, there's a transfer portal. There's guys graduating early. Uh, this year there were opt-outs. I think everyone at some point in time this season found themselves playing with a third or fourth teamer that they never expected to grace the field. And so – that being said, what do you want it to look like when that guy sets foot on the field? Do you want a guy that's prepared? Do you want a guy that wants that opportunity, wants to be in the moment or not? So, no, we're very direct and honest. And that's the best way to do it. I don't think you can in any way, shape or form approach recruiting or your roster thinking of the transfer portal uh, because I just be honest, just be direct, be transparent. And sometimes there'll be things that they want to hear and they're part of the team and sometimes it just doesn't fit their plans and they may want to stick it out or they may want to go somewhere else and try it out, but it, it still, it leaves clarity and it prevents any later uh, misunderstanding. So all in all, it uh, just keep grinding at it, man, bring in the best ones and develop them. Have you had to change your philosophy and, or, or, you know, cause I know you, you kind of build out a plan two, three years in advance for, for how you want your classes to balance out. Do you have to change that with the, the potential rule change of, you know, one-time transfer exception where, you know, there may be some more movement coming up and you may have the opportunity to grab a guy who's pretty good, who who has some experience and and plug him into a spot. Well, I I wouldn't say by much, but we haven't gone through a spring yet. The entire country hasn't gone through a spring with the one-time transfer rule in place. So I think 
there's a possibility that several rosters may look very different post-spring than they did pre-spring. Um, you always want to save a spot or two or three, um, even before the portal was in effect. In the case of someone, you know, a, a great player popping up, um, I mean, now you can find players in Europe and, and Canada certainly has some great football or a late bloomer that has been wrestling and he's, you know, tossing guys all over the map and going 34-0. I mean, a lot of different opportunities pop up. And sometimes you surprise uh, or you be you get surprised by someone on your roster developing at a high level and he's a must-have guy and you want to keep him because he might transfer somewhere else if he doesn't have a scholarship. So it's uh, you got to be very open-minded <laughs> and be prepared to handle anything that comes your way. I've heard you mention the international recruiting in a few different interviews, and I, I think it's really interesting. I did a story last year on a, a high school in Clearwater, Florida, that has almost an exclusively international roster. They, they you know, started out in Europe, and now they've got a bunch from Canada. But it's interesting geographically for you guys because as football gets bigger in Canada, I mean, British Columbia is right there. Uh, Clemson's got a, a receiver from Alberta now. Who, who was by way of Florida, but I mean, you may have a geographical advantage with, with some of these guys. Without a doubt. And look, I played in NFL Europe. Okay. And I remember our left tackle was 6'10, 426 pounds, and our tight <laughs> 315. And I had never been exposed to football out there. And I'm like, man, you know, where do you come from? How do you. <laughs> Come to our practice at our club league so you could see, and there were just there's some unbelievable looking specimens, and they love football. And so as coaching continues to, to filter in over there and, and guys get more and more developed, I think you're gonna see more and more players come from overseas. And and we're we're pretty strategically located. And you look at the rest of our student athletes and our other sports, we recruit from all over the place. And this is like a, a global recruiting approach. Um, and certainly on us going this way and getting out to to Hawaii and, and American Samoa and uh, mm -hmm. some of those places, we, um, we're, we've we been able to find some unbelievable, unbelievable players. And as a matter of fact, you know, Panay and uh, his family, you know, Noah, Noah, who's here right now, they're, mm -hmm. they're Samoa, you know, and uh, kind of glad to have those guys. So. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. When you mentioned that about playing next to a tackle who was was 6'10", 426, you may be the the offensive lineman who has played next to the biggest guy and the smallest guy at the same time because you got you got 6'10", 426 on one side, and then you go back to high school and you're playing next to Alex Mirabal, who is now your offensive line coach, who Alex is not the biggest guy. I mean, right now Alex is is in, there's a one in front of his his weight, and you know, what's that like? Because obviously, you know, you guys are, are very close, and uh, you've played next to him. What does it take for a guy like that to become a guy who 330 pound guys listen to, trust, believe in? Oh, well, I learned about trust when I was in high school playing beside him because he saved my butt a bunch of times whenever I got beat on inside moves as a tackle, but. Uh, I think uh, the best way to sum it up is by the time he leaves the room, he is uh, he's the biggest presence in the room because of his ability to teach and connect the way um, he just masters his craft. He is uh, he's the best offensive line coach in the country. And, and I don't think it's by a little either. Uh, his attention to detail, the way he dives into his process is the way he holds people accountable, the way he holds himself accountable. I mean, he's going to beat everybody here in the morning and he's going to 
outwork them and outlast them every single night. So um, it's easy. I don't uh, never looked at anyone uh, in the whole judging a, a book and by Scott. I don't, this guy's a special, special person, special coach, and his impact has been unbelievable here at Oregon. Now he's he's one who you've known forever, but you actually don't usually employ a lot of coaches that you've just known. I, I I've talked to people who worked with you at Florida International, uh, who worked with you at Oregon. the The interview process is pretty legendary because you you cast a wide net, and you're very, you know you'll look at stats and you'll say that guy's interesting. Let's talk to him. Or you know I heard something about this guy. Let's talk to him. What what is it? What is the interview with Mario Cristobal like when when you bring a person in? And you're talking to him for, say, like a position coaching job. Well, it, it's kind of a spinoff of what uh, I was exposed to. And I believe it was in 2005 when I went up uh, and met with Coach Mangini in the Jets. Well, I think it was an all-day event, man. I mean, you were prodded and tried in every single manner humanly possible. But as the biggest thing is we want to find out who's the best guy for the organization. And it's really hard to say, okay, in an interview, we can find that out, especially if you don't really know the person. So, the background checks and calls are off the charts. It's daily. It's tons of them all the time. But we put them through every possible scenario that a coach would have uh, throughout the course of the day, the week, the year, in terms of uh, it could be as, as simple as, as sitting down and talking about their craft to get it up on the board and explaining a concept to teaching it, standing up and showing us technique and fundamentals to getting on the tape and talking about, you know, and us having dissected their tape and having them talk about what they're teaching and coaching and then just annihilating them on when their guy's not doing it right, why he's not coaching what he's supposed to do. So it's like at the combine when they put your six worst plays on, on the, on the board and you it's, have to say what it's happened. It's a lot worse than Gruden's quarterback school. I, I tell you that much. It is <laughs> after them. And at the end of the day, we don't, we don't put a lot of stock in um, anything except who is best for the program at the time, whether I know him or not. I mean, me, uh, me bringing in a friend or someone I know does nothing for the organization. There's a lot of people counting on us, a community counting on us. So we throw, I throw all that stuff out the window, quite honestly, and look for the absolute best professional. That is the absolute best human being you could possibly find that has a care factor that's through the roof. And you know, what's the best way to put it, Andy? How would you want to look for your son if he goes away to school? Right. If if he's having a great day and he feels too good about himself, who's going to be able to bring him back down to earth so he can make it a study? Yeah. Right. Or if he's having a real bad day, and he is he's not on the ground. He's through the bottom of the ground. Who's going to be able to lift him up or be there? You know, God forbid, in case of an emergency to be able to just get us all together, and make sure he's OK. So a million factors go into it. But. I'm glad to hear that. Our Mario, I, I'm just trying to get my 11 year old to remember to put deodorant on right now. So uh, you, I'm going to need your staff to just get after his ass when he's when he's 18, uh, 19. That's we'll, we'll we'll just we'll we'll agree agree on that. I, we'll that we'll stick easy. to the get after their ass part. Tell him deodorant has superpowers, and that's how the whole usually gets himself to be that size. He just does that exactly. It's perfect. I did want to ask about one of your new hires, uh, Tim DeRuiter, your new defensive coordinator. He, he's, it seems like that one's where you guys familiarized, unfortunately, was his defenses at Cal playing very well against you. Without a doubt, uh, he is just, he's a master of his craft now. And he's done a lot uh, at a lot of places where they traditionally had not been so good on that side of the ball. And his improvements have been just massive and impressive. And we looked a lot, a lot for that, especially in a coordinator, a guy that can take it from, from A to B. 
Um, and, and not necessarily after having signed a tremendous uh, or large number of new players. You got to be able to take what's there that hadn't performed at a certain level and really improve them. That's always a, a big indicator for us, a guy that can do a lot with what he was given as opposed to just finding guys that are doing great things with great players. It's my, my chicken salad, chicken something else theory. Uh, if, if, if you can create that chicken salad, you're, you're, you're going to be very successful in life. But I, I wanted, before I let you go, I got to ask you about one other job that you, you almost took, but you didn't take because you were, you were in, I believe you were a graduate, graduate assistant at the time, but you'd gone through a, a series of background checks to see if you could get into the U.S. Secret Service. And you get the call, hey, we've accepted your application. Uh, come get fitted for your, your black suit and your earpiece. So what happened there and, and what would have happened had you said, okay, let's do this? Yeah, Special Agent Cristobal was almost a reality. I was, <laughs> I was gone. I, was, I always wanted to do it. It was uh, something similar to what, uh, you know, my father had done before, uh, um, you know, back in Cuba. Um, I was all about it, man. But I got that. I actually got a page. Remember the old pagers? I got. A, oh, yeah. Yeah. Nine one one page. A, my memory is this was how I was good for the Secret Service. My memory is like on point, like completely just photographic. So I remember got the page. I was on a fishing boat for the Micron PC Bowl. Remember that one way back? <laughs> oh, yeah, I sure do. What used to be called Pro Player Stadium because it was a bowl event and a bunch of young bucks were on that boat fishing um, that ended up being great players down there. And uh, I went in and, it, you know, I, I called back. I accepted the opportunity, went in. I was crying like a baby, you know, took my stuff. Uh, the coaches there were trying to convince me, saying, come on, man, you want to do this coaching thing. It's a, you don't want your hair cut too tight all the time, and which I do anyways. But uh, <laughs> after a long night of just tossing and turning, I woke up and said, I, I want to coach football. I don't want to let go of football again. I lost it one time already when I was cut. I don't want to lose it again. So that, and, and when they tested you, it's sort of that – photographic memory piece you know we always see it with Sean McVay and LeBron and 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 people in sports have great memories well that's one thing they did you didn't they, they give you a picture of an intersection and they let you see it for like five seconds and then ask you everything about it and I'm sure you did very well on that right it was uh I did I did fairly well it was uh they do that's one of the tests that you have you know just taking a, a look uh almost like a mental snapshot of a, almost like a traffic grid and You'll have to answer later to, hey, on the southeast corner um, at the stop sign, what kind of car was it? What color was it? What type of tires was it over the crosswalk line with the windows down? I, it's just really, really like in detail stuff where you better be paying attention or or you have no chance. I, I just I think that outfit, I have all the respect in the world for, for federal you know workers and law enforcement. Those guys are pretty special. Well, I did, we, we would have met earlier, probably. I, I covered the 2001 College World Series, and George W. Bush was present at the time. He threw out the first pitch, and they brought him up to the press box afterward. They didn't tell us they were bringing him up to the press box, and I had, just, I had gone to the bathroom, and I didn't understand that when the United States president is in the room with you, you're not allowed to move. The, the Secret Service agents, stay, you know, they make sure they, they get everybody in place and you're not moving. And so I just... Barge out of the bathroom like, oh, oh, all right, going back to my seat. And I hear, stop. And the 
biggest secret service agent in the world probably is standing next to me and his hand is right, right there at his hip. And I'm like, Oh, good. What, what did I do? What did I, what did I, I just go to the bathroom. So that would have yeah. been you. So uh, that's, we would have met. We could have met by, by placing in like a, you know, a figure four leg lock or an arm bar, man, you know? It, yeah. You would have had me zip tied on the floor. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it would have been a, a perfect meeting. So, well, Mario, thank you so much. I know you got to get back to work. It's a, uh, it's seven twenty-five there, so you've got you know sixteen hours left to work today before you can get your your three hours of sleep. But thank you so much. Appreciate you having me, man. Have a great one.